Luke 24, 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, Suddenly, two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women were with them, were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Thank you, Chris, for that wonderful reading. Um, let's pray. <laughs> good place to start. Oh, Father God, um, we thank you that you have drawn us in this morning. Lord, you have drawn us in into community, into congregation. You have drawn us into worship and to learn and to study your word. So, Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to be here with us to... Um, to guard our hearts, to encourage our hearts as we hear from your word. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So today we celebrate Easter. Easter is the pinnacle of God's work of redemption and reconciliation. It's not the end of the work, of course. There's much more to come. But Easter may certainly be the peak of his redemption plan, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what an amazing plan it has been. Just in this past week, we have remembered Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the crowds hailing him as God's anointed one. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. During the week, we have seen him teaching at the temple. He's confronted his enemies, he overturned the vendor tables in the temple that blocked the Gentiles from worshiping. We see him using every means possible to turn the people of God, the people of Israel, back to God. We see him delighted to celebrate the Passover with his apostles. The apostle, the Passover, a celebration that remembers God's mercy to his people. Jesus celebrates knowing full well what will be required for that mercy. 
At that meal, he replaces the generation's old ritual to one of remembrance for his blood, his body, his sacrifice. That same holy night, Jesus gives the apostles a lesson in what it will mean to live a life following him by washing their feet. They are to live like him in a posture of humility and service. Amazing. They leave that dinner singing songs and rejoicing with one another. Of course, this is Jesus, of course there's a lesson along the way. He teaches how, it is, how he is now the true vine, no longer Israel, but he, the Christ. And in order for them to live a life under the care of Almighty God, they must stay connected to him. They must stay connected to Jesus. And finally, before his arrest, an arrest that preceded events which he already knew were going to happen, he prayed for them. He prays that God would unite, sanctify, and protect them. Knowing he was headed for the cross, he prays for them and all those that would follow, you and I. Equally amazing is that in less than 24 hours, Christ will be tried, condemned, and killed. Dying humbly, obediently, never protesting, not calling down legions of angels, but instead, even from the cross, calling people into his kingdom of forgiveness. On Friday, Jesus was dead and buried. There were stories of a tragedy at the temple where the curtain into the Holy of Holies had been destroyed. The sun had been darkened for hours. The disciples went from celebrating God's goodness and anticipating Jesus to show himself as the Christ to mourning his death. Tired, hungry, afraid, sheep without a shepherd. Then there was the Sabbath. So the Gospels don't tell us too much about what happened on that particular Sabbath, but I think it's okay if we use our imaginations to know in part what that day was like, because we have shared that day with them. We have had someone central to our lives die. It is an experience we all will share. So that day, what did they do? They mourned. They cried. They asked why and what happens now. They remembered what he had said and what he had done. They felt regret at their own failures, anger at the forces that betrayed him, and they felt the loss of what they thought the future held. They mourned and they prayed and they grieved, and this too was amazing. You see, we all need to understand how amazing all of that was in order to understand where we find Peter and ourselves on Sunday morning, amazed and wondering at an empty tomb. Our scripture verse reads in part, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away, amazed at what had happened. The Greek word used in the scripture verse for Peter's response to the empty tomb is thaumas. It's used in over 40 places in the New Testament. It is translated as marvel, wonder, astonish, amaze, and even fear. For example, in Luke, in Luke 5, we have the story of Jesus, Jesus healing. On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. 
And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But, what, but that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, rise and walk. Sorry, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And this right here, this is where we have to be careful that we don't let a story that we have heard so many times lose its impact. We have to grasp the power of this event. Jesus, number one, understands the Pharisees' thoughts. Two, he dares to forgive sins, and by doing so, he claims his position as the Messiah, and he heals someone who is paralyzed. These are extraordinary things. And we see the response, a rightful response from the people, amazement with a side of fear. And again in Mark 6, when Jesus meets the disciples in their boat by walking on the water, Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was on the sea. He was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. This is the same word. This is the same experience that Peter had at the empty tomb. So Strong's Greek Dictionary defines this as a word that's used to describe something that evokes an emotional powerful and personal response. Scholar and doctor of ancient Greek literature, Jessica Lightfoot defines the word translated in today's verse as a maze. The decisive emotional and intellectual experience in the presence of radical difference provokes curiosity to act as a spur towards the acquisition of new knowledge. I'm gonna read that again. It's a little tongue twister. The decisive so this word amaze, this word thalmus, this experience that Peter has at the empty tomb is a decisive emotional and intellectual experience in the presence of radical difference, provokes curiosity to act as a spur towards the acquisition of new knowledge. Of course, our modern use of the word amazing has been reduced to a bold letter superlative to describe how wonderful something is, a feel-good Facebook post or a sales pitch, and even a beloved comic book hero. And although these are all valid uses of the word amazing, as in, I hope each of you enjoy an amazing Easter dinner later today, 
There's so much more going on in this scripture story. Amazing is a word of encounter, a word meaning our senses and sensibilities are confronted. It's like I grew up in New England and I'm very familiar with the White Mountains and I was perfectly happy thinking the White Mountains were mountains and then I went to Colorado. <laughs> I was amazed at the mountains in Colorado because my understanding of what a mountain was was challenged. So we find ourselves truly amazed at something is because we've encountered a truth that confronts our understanding of a thing and challenges us to reconsider what we think we know or to acknowledge how weak and small our understanding of a thing truly is. And that's what the empty tomb does. It confronts everything of this world we've been taught to be true. And that's where we stand this morning. We are confronted by how weak and small is our understanding of God's mighty power and love. Likewise, Peter and him of all the apostles, confronted at the sight of an empty tomb and neatly folded grave clothes, would begin to wonder at the possibilities. Everything in him knew Jesus was dead, but equally he believed Jesus was the Christ. Peter was there when Jesus spoke with Moses and Elijah. Peter was there when Jesus walked on water. Peter knew Jesus had died on that cross, but now he is here at an empty tomb. He has, been, excuse me, he has been confronted by a radical difference, and he is amazed. Maybe generations before us have had a richer understanding of the depth of this word. For example, there is a song we sing written by Chris Tomlin. Although the song is accredited, is accredited to Tomlin, the truth is he borrowed the refrain from Charles Wesley. I am alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how could it be that you, my king, would die for me? And that's the question, right? That is the very heart of amazement. How could it be? There's no love like this. There's nothing in my experience that allows me to believe that someone would die for me. Maybe for a cause, for a belief, for a principle, but not for me. And not just someone, but my king, the king, that's a challenge. And certainly when John Newton wrote from his life experience profiting from the slave trade, he understood the radical difference he had encountered. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Who extends grace to a wretched sinner such as myself? I should be condemned and rejected, yet I am given grace over and over. I am forced to reconsider. And there's a poem written by Mary Oliver that says in part, when it's over, I want to say all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. And that is what we are offered here this Easter morning and every morning in the company of the Holy Spirit. A life that is full of amazement and wonder and joy and heartache and love a life that makes a radical difference, confronting a world with too small an understanding of the possibilities. Just like Peter was, and just like all those that have gone before us were, we are now confronted with an empty tomb, a tomb emptied according to God's promises. Our amazement could go either way, 
but we can't stay neutral. Our curiosity has been provoked and we are forced to react to this new knowledge. The good news is that, thanks be to God, when we cry, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, we have his word, the witness of the apostles, the teaching of the Holy Spirit to assure us of this amazing truth. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of our Father Creator. He calls us to himself, the first of many sons and daughters, to a life everlasting. Amazing love, how could it be? Let's pray.